Yeah. When I first started playing, I had terrible chops and uh, had a really funky embouchure. Um, and uh, I, luckily, I had some teachers who said, OK, you need to you need to start working on this. You can't just keep playing this way. And uh, so I I literally did everything they told me. They were great teachers. So I, I really got the um, the bug to like start working on getting things right and, and literally changed the, the way my jaw worked, how my lips went together, the whole thing. And uh, I, uh, I, I got a lot of benefit out of that. And uh, still to this day, I mean, I've always been a practicer. I like, I like going on a gig, not feeling like there's going to be anything that's going to surprise me terribly, you know. Warning. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Chris Jaudis. Chris, he's a powerhouse. From bebop to Broadway, from brass bands to big bands, Chris is one of New York's go-to guys, and when he's not lighting it up on the stage or crushing it in the pit, Chris is helping to mold the next generation of trumpet players as part of the jazz faculty at the prestigious Juilliard School of Music, and his love for the trumpet is only matched by his love for life. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast, and I am joined by Chris Jadis. Uh, so uh, all the way from uh, the Big Apple, from New York City, the center of uh, the universe. So, uh, Chris, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today, man. Thank you. It's nice to be here, finally, after seeing a few of these. It's nice to actually be participating. Uh, well, it's, it's always my pleasure, uh, you know, uh, uh, so, uh, folks, Chris and I have uh, have not met before today, which is uh, another great thing. Yeah, that's part of the, the whole idea of The Hang is getting to know somebody and doing it in a nice, casual, relaxed way. And I'm a firm believer that uh, the things that are most important that, the, that we're going to learn from people are, are the way they view life, the way they view uh, music, the way they, they view their, uh, their craft as opposed to the what's, you know? So a lot of times we're too concerned about, you know, like how do you play a double high C, uh, as opposed to why do you really need to play a double high C? So, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but it's uh, going to be nice not to have to talk about mouthpieces. Yeah. That'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, so let's start with the first question. So Chris, what kind of mouthpiece? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's so funny. We trumpet players are, are a goofy group, uh, so definitely get gearheads. But uh, so you, I mean, you, you've certainly been uh, well. I know you've been affected by the pandemic, like like the rest of us, uh, in terms of uh, the ability to do live performances, uh, particularly because you were so active on the Broadway scene. Um, but you also have your educational uh, side of things. You know, you're uh, you're on the faculty there at, at the Juilliard, um, so. I mean, how how you do? How did you manage to uh, to get through this this really crazy time uh, and maintain your sanity uh, without being able to 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 play out as much as uh, you were used to doing? Yeah, well, I wasn't that sane to begin with, but uh, yeah. it has been a difficult time for everybody I know. I I have been teaching throughout this, so 
that kind of keeps me involved. Most of it was via Zoom. Uh, we've just, Julia just opened for the first time this year, about two weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's been, uh, and, and now the semester's over. I mean, the year's over. Uh, so we, we got in the building and then that was it. We're done now. Um, for me personally, um, I like practicing and it was a good time to get a lot of practice in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I missed the, I missed the gigs and, and all of that stuff. I did do some recording. So that was, uh, you know, kept me a little bit busy. Uh, but I, I love shedding. So that's, that's what I did. You know, I used it as a, as a good time to practice and get my, my act together, you know, change things, worked on things. And, uh, it, I feel pretty good for doing it, but I'm ready to get back to work. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I've talked to a few people who have, who have said the same thing that, uh, they kind of took the opportunity to, uh, fine tune some stuff or to, to spend time doing things that they normally wouldn't do. I, I think the first person I talked to that, that, it, that mentioned that to me was, uh, was uh, my friend Seraphin Aguilar uh, out in L.A. because most of his work, uh, you know, playing lead, playing a lot of Latin and just, you know, having to pound it every night. And he's like, man, it was really nice to just to be able to to play a lot more ballads and to work on my, you know, my sound and things like that, that I just, you know, as, as opposed to just trying to keep my chops up. Right. So, um, you know, was there anything in particular that that kind of uh, caught your fancy, you know, where you were like, hey, man, this is this is a great opportunity for me to explore this aspect of playing that I normally don't? Um, well, I did. Uh, I did a lot of uh, classical exercises, uh, thinking that, you know, that would be what I needed to do just to just to try to keep the control stuff happening, you know. And uh, that worked out pretty good. I worked on some that I had never used before. So um, they, uh, I found some that tired me out pretty quick. Not, you know, not the usual Charlier or those kind of things, but really just exercises. Like the, the uh, I got these, this Vacchiano series, but then uh, Mitch Jelen wrote uh, some uh, books with just a bunch of uh, seemingly boring looking exercises in it but they really work really well for just tearing up your chops yeah. yeah and uh so that that was great that's what i needed i needed you know i needed to find something to make me tired you know and yeah. that, that that did it well you know and you said something really interesting you, you said you love the shed and that is something that amazingly enough not a lot of people really enjoy they don't enjoy that that practice process i mean they love gigging but you know not not getting in the shed so uh has that been something that's been part of your your makeup since uh, the beginning of your your playing yeah when i first started playing i had terrible chops and uh had a really funky embouchure um and uh I, luckily i had some teachers who said okay you need to you need to start working on this. You can't just keep playing this way. And uh, so I, I literally did everything they told me. They were great teachers, so I, I really got the, um, the bug to like start working on getting things right, and and literally changed the the way my jaw worked, how my lips went together, the whole thing. And uh, I, uh, I, I got a lot of benefit out of that. And uh, still to this day, I mean, I've always been a practicer. I like. I like going on a gig, not feeling like there's going to be anything that's going to surprise me terribly, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, I've always done this. I just have not had this kind of time. 
I, I got to work on a little bit more of my own just jazz playing, you know, with some recordings and, and stuff here. A lot of times I don't get to do that as often as I like. And I've, I've played every trumpet I have, which is uh, which I haven't done in years. Uh-huh. So I've kind of been on I've got trumpets laying around all over on the floor and stuff like that and some cornet stuff as well. So yeah. it gave me a chance to, you know, do stuff I never got to do before. Plus, I we got a new dog and I got to potty train the dog while I was at home, which was uh, great. Yeah, that's that's always nice, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, when you're when you're gigging and stuff like that, you know, and you have to uh, not be there for those prime moments, especially with yeah, the dog, right. man. Man, you, you come home to some very nasty surprises. This is true, right? <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Um, this is right. But, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about, like, your, your practice, you know, um, and, and retooling things, um, you know, some people are just, you know, give me a routine and I'll do it. And, you know, just kind of that rote thing. And some people are a little bit more introspective in the practice process and, and they, they look at their practice as a, uh, basically as a, as a laboratory, I almost said laboratory. Suddenly I had Boris Karloff going on in my head. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they look at it as, you know, uh, this place to experiment and, and to try and, and figure out exactly what's going on and how to fine tune or, or improve on things. So, uh, do you fall into one of those two camps more than another? Yeah, I don't have, uh, I don't, I mean, some people think this, this isn't the case, but it is for me. I had no natural skills on the trumpet. It wasn't built for me. I just really wanted to play one. Um, and literally I started playing in a Salvation Army band. So I got a, they handed me a cornet and said, okay, just learn these fingerings. And there were, for some time, there was no actual guidance as to what I was supposed to do with my lips. Just learn, learn the fingerings, you know? Right. Um, and so my, uh, my jaw, my teeth are not in perfect alignment to play the trumpet. And of course, not that many people's are, but my jaw was kind of off to the side and I had some crooked teeth and all of that. Um, so I basically just learned how to make it work. So my aperture was real angled down like that, number one. And, uh, finally I got a teacher who said, yeah, you're going to have to start all this over again and get this together. That, that wasn't until I was, I mean, I, I made it through high school without any, any problems, but, uh, starting in my sophomore year in high school, I had two teachers and, uh, they both worked on me pretty hard about getting my chops together. And, uh, so I had great instruction from that point on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm very happy. They put the time in. It, it was very frustrating for them. I know. So, uh, that's, that's just the way I had to, I mean, I, I learned it wrong and then had to learn it right. Mm-hmm. So the, those processes help you, um, now in your role as a, as an educator in some of the like the problem solving skills absolutely i i actually meet a lot of people who who don't really know what the chops I'm, I'm talking about educators who don't know specifically what the chops do or more importantly what what theirs do they just put the horn on their face and they've learned to do that by repetition and um i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it if it's working great that's that's fine but for me i just i had a lesson before this today and uh, we we talked to this my my student who's a great jazz player, um, but I said, listen, over the summer you got to work on your chops. You got to get that at stuff together, and uh, that that meant uh, making some adjustments uh, so that he could uh, improve his range, his sound, his control, his endurance, all of those things. You know, if you're a jazz player and that's really all you want to do, 
is, you know, you just, a lot of times you just keep playing the solos, you know, and you don't have to have a lot of chops to do that because you get to decide right. what you're going to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, I see that, you know, more often than I'd like to see that, but um, this guy responded really well today. I think he's, I think it's going to be really great for him. He's a great player. Yeah. Well, you know, it, and it's almost like, you know, getting into that uh, discussion about, uh, you know, technique and the level of technique that you have to have. And, uh, you know, do you need to be able to play Carnival of Venice at, uh, you know, 6,000 BPM uh, or, you know, what, what do you need? And, and it's, it's, I think, all tied to our ability to communicate our ideas and, uh, you know, with music being a form of communication. So certainly the better grasp you have of vocabulary, the more words you have and the fluency you have, uh, that helps you in expressing your ideas. But, um, you know, I think sometimes people lose, they, they get an imbalance. So they're either too concerned with uh, becoming a English historian as opposed to an English speaker. You know, we use that analogy right. in music uh, or they just, you know, they want to speak the language and they just, you know, they don't care about anything else. So, you know, finding that delicate balance of understanding what you need to do, how you need to do it, uh, having the technical facility to do it. And then I think getting the heck out of your own way and just letting the music come out of you. Right. Right. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I'll also say this. You mentioned Carnival of Venice. So I finally, over this break, learned Carnival of Venice. I mean, there were there were two movements I couldn't play perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I finally cor- I corrected those so I can play those. I, I won't bore you with it now, but. But those those two movements were difficult for me all my whole life because I just never would spend the time on woodshed. And I'm just thinking, what am I going to play this? You know, it's not like you're going to get a concert and you're going to do Carnival of Venice. So I had the time to finally do that. So I feel like I can check something off of my uh, my list. Finally, your bucket mute list. There you go. Right. right. That's cool. Uh, so when when did you kind of uh fall into your groove if you will uh professionally uh as like you know this is the this is the path that i want to take this is the music that i want to play this is you know the type of trumpet player i want to be when did when did that kind of come together for you well as my as my chops got a little bit stronger um and i had a great teacher i'll i'm going to shout out his name in case he's listening his, his name is bob checarini he's from st louis and uh bob uh, really invested some time and effort into me as a trumpet player and uh, got me on eventually kind of worked through everything I should. He was very meticulous about getting the details taken care of, learning how to pre- play properly, uh, giving me the right stuff. He was a great jazz player uh, and also played uh, with the St. Louis Symphony as a, as the extra uh, very often. Just a wonderful uh, teacher too. Very inspiring kind of guy. Um, and he spent a lot of time with me and to this day, we're, we're great friends and, uh, talk about trumpet a lot. Uh, but he started taking me on gigs saying, this is, you know, first just to watch them, watch him do them. And then, then he started hiring me for the gigs and we ended up, you know, working together on everything that happened in St. Louis until I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And, uh, to this day, if I need some advice, I got about six people I would call who I think are the smartest people I know on, on the trumpet. And Bob is definitely at the top of that list. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things that, uh, having a, not just a teacher, but having a mentor, you know, because those are are two different things, completely different things. 
uh, and having that person that you have that deeper connection with and that, that you kind of trust, not like a blind trust, but it's an earned trust that, that you can right. you can just trust innately and you know that that person is, is looking out for your best. Uh, that That's so rare. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I think everyone should do that, regardless of whether it's in trumpet or, or any aspect in your life. You should really try and have mentors in, in things that can kind of help to guide you along the best path possible. Yeah, I think those of us that are teachers really need to take that to heart as well, because our our students need that. There's there's a lot of different ways to go. There's a lot of uh, places you can make a left turn instead of a right turn. And it really helps to to really take an interest in your student and, and uh, help them get focused in the right direction and, and on the right kind of stuff to practice as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of which, I mean, I wanted to ask you about this um because uh, education is is really a an important topic you know, for me, I think for everybody it should be uh, not just for for trumpet, but yeah, just in in general. Because you know we're kind of put here to experience and to learn. I mean, that's 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 what we're here for on this planet. And um, I think the education system, like so many other things, have has gotten kind of broken over the years. Not um, it mostly because. You know, we found something that that kind of worked at the time, and as the times and the needs have changed, we never really uh, have, uh, you know, aggressively sought to change the structure in which that information is disseminated. We've we've uh, we become somewhat married to the dogma and to the institution, and not to the the organic nature of learning, which is which is uh, going to be an evolutionary process. So, as a as a teacher especially at a school like Juilliard where you're getting, you know, some of the best of the best, uh, you know, the, the promising young talent is coming, you know, to places like Juilliard. Uh, when you, when you have these new students come in, this is a two parter, you know, what is the one thing that you're like, Oh man, I really wish that, you know, this was that this particular skill or this particular concept was taught, uh, earlier in the stage, in in our uh, our younger students and then the second part of that would be you know what is the one thing that you feel as that teacher or that mentor that you want your students to come away with at the end of their time with you yeah well uh number one unfortunately uh especially in the jazz department at juilliard um it's very easy to arrive there being a good jazz player, but not necessarily a good technician on the instrument. You know, you, they, everybody wants to have blinding speed. Um, almost everybody there in order to pass the audition have to come with some great jazz ideas. But a lot of times what happens is people have limited their jazz playing to what they could play instead of improving their playing to improve their options. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, in the jazz, not just at Juilliard, but in other jazz schools that I've taught at, um, it's it's easy for people to say, well, I'm going to play this solo, but instead of playing this difficult kind of lick that I might hear, that's going to be, I'll just go another way with that, you know, because they have an option to move the notes around how that they, how they fit, you know? Right. Um, and I, I think it's difficult uh, to, to teach that with uh, younger students, especially, but by the time they get to the college level, uh, or late high school, hopefully the teacher is working with them on, okay, so here are the things that you are, you are not able to play because you don't have the technique for it. 
so you're taking a shortcut on the solo you might want to play this but you you can't so we got to do something with your chops or work on some exercises that improve your technique to the point that you're able to play what you hear instead of just what you can right and uh so i mean the students you know that i've seen it at really in every school want to respond to that. Um, but it also tests their interest in jazz. Okay, well, how bad do I want to do this? Because people, especially when they get to the college level, don't want to start sounding, don't want to have to start over. Right. You, you don't want to sound bad in the practice room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I will say it's a very supportive institution to be involved in. Um, you know, Winton is always kind of monitoring everything that happens, you know, and the whole faculty basically is really very involved in every student that's there. It's not just, oh, you go and study with one guy. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of, of trading ideas and involvement for the student, uh, time for the student to be able to spend with other instructors there. Like you can go, if you're a trumpet player, you can say, I want to I want to get a sax lesson. I want to see what that's like, you know. Um, and because a, a saxophone player, uh, some of the great ones we have there will say, well, here's some great licks to play. Maybe you can figure out how to do that on a trumpet, you know, because they have ideas that are a little bit different than ours. Because right. we tend to think on our three vowels and they have all these beautiful keys to be able to move up and down on. So exactly. um, I think being in that situation specifically where they're at, and I'm sure other schools that are, are very much like that in, in the chance that the students have exposure to all of the instructors and can, uh, you know, get a, a better focus on what their options are as a player and expand just out of the trumpet, three-valve trumpet context and the, and just the range that we have and all of that and and try to play some uh, transcriptions of uh, solos from written for other instruments or, written, or that were originally played by other instruments. Right, right. Yeah, I know. I mean, that that's, that's always been kind of the... Uh, kind of a standard, I guess, for so, so many people is like, you know, regardless of what instrument you play, you know, if you're going to play jazz, you need to, you know, read the read out of the, the Omni book. You know, you, you need to right. learn the, the Parker stuff because, you know, that's the language. It, it's not so much uh, just the instrument, but, you know, that that was the foundation of, of uh, you know, so much of the music that we play today. And, and if you can't understand it, then it, it's you know going to be infinitely harder for you to uh, to fit into the structure of things as they are. But, um, you know, so, you know, you're, you're saying, you know, obviously there's a level of, of technical proficiency that needs to be there to you know, the facility to express the ideas that, that come out of them. Um, right. You know, and, you know, there's the classic of, you know, certainly listen to, uh, you know, listen to as much music as possible. But are there any other things that, that you would suggest for people in terms of how to uh, increase their creativity um, you know, to, to open up their, their minds and their ears, uh, their hearts, if you will, to uh, new expressions of music as opposed to, you know, just, just playing another 32 bars of, of rehashed Freddie Hubbard licks. Right. Well, you know, listening to Freddie Hubbard is never a bad thing to do, but I, I, I will say that the, the real tendency I think that we tend to do is lock ourselves into just trumpet players. And... Uh, there's there's a lot of wonderful music and uh, uh, invention out there uh, that if you'll if you'll listen to I mean you can learn stuff from listening to percussion instruments you know if you if you really try to do that um, so I think it's mostly just getting off the the fact that all jazz is played by a trumpet player and just because you play the trumpet 
doesn't mean it all has to be limited to what the easy stuff to do on the trumpet is. Uh, there's some great players out there who have really learned how to make some uh, crazy. I mean, even with uh, uh, synthesized trumpets, you know, with the, you can even just still play them with the three buttons. Um, even doing that is opening uh, your ears and mind to options that it's real easy to get locked into, you know. And so you have to constantly be listening. If only you li- if the only instruments you listen to are trumpet, you're going to you're only going to be able to do those. But if you try playing some flute music or a, a, a great listen to great classical players and listen to the astounding precision and technique that they have trying to develop some of that into your playing as well, then you're going to have lots of uh, interesting things to say as a player. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, I I forget who I was talking with about this. Um, I know there are, there are people that, that gain inspiration, not just from other musicians, uh, or musical instruments, but gain inspiration from other arts, you know. So the the uh, the the use the way that uh, pa- a painter will use certain uh, color combinations or, or strokes, which you know, kind of are reminiscent to the way that we might want to phrase something, or uh, the way dancers move, or, or things like that. That there's there's so many different things that can inspire us, and uh, any any level of inspiration should eventually be able to be translated into an expression through our instrument. So, uh, I mean, have you, have you ever uh, suggested to your students, you know, that concept of like playing around with, with taking ideas from something that, that's not, I mean, completely removed from music? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the room that I teach in, not this year, but the, the room that, that I normally teach in is on the same hallway as uh, uh, the dance studios. And I urge my students to go take a look at that. Try to play what they're dancing. Try to try to take that inspiration and make something out of it. I think we should be listening to classical music. Uh, to I mean, a lot of the great classical uh, composers um, did some really crazy, far out stuff. You know, stuff that was way off the Bach and Beethoven kind of uh, concept. And um, I, I feel like you know, the more we listen and the more we watch. Uh, the more inspiration we have. I actually had a, a student whose uh, girlfriend was a dancer, and they worked on an entire program of trumpet and dance, and a and a keyboard player and a, a harp. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was really interesting. It was really incredibly interesting. And the the trumpet ended up making sounds and uh, music that really uh, you wouldn't have expected him to be playing. And the good news is, I love bebop, but it. There was no bebop in that in that performance, and it was stuff that people wouldn't normally hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's you know we we can be inspired by almost any anything you know, and uh, we just need to have our ears open to make that happen. Yeah, well, I mean, and speaking of, speaking of inspirations, uh, you know, you you were talking about your your teacher earlier uh, that in, inspired you in so many ways and gave you that guidance. Um, I mean, were there any like other kind of pivotal moments for you where it, it's like there, there was a something that, that kind of helped you to make sense of things and to, to move you in a direction that, uh, you know, ultimately now you're looking at and going, yeah, this is, this is exactly what I needed at this point in time. Yeah, mostly it was, I, I had instructors that would encourage me to listen. And, uh, there was a period of time where I was just 
I was just working on shedding on the on the horn, getting the valves to work and do all of that stuff. But I wasn't really listening a lot. I will say that uh, I can remember, you know, so I'm I'm older than maybe some of your other uh, guests have been, but uh, I can remember listening to Bill Chase the first time. Uh, not not the world's greatest jazz player at all, but uh, you know, it was a whole brand new kind of playing, as was uh, you know Maynard and other players like him that really brought a lot of excitement. Um, that wasn't just uh, tonal; it was just what what the range was on the trumpet, what the abilities, what mm-hmm. what notes are possible that yeah. a lot of people weren't thinking. You know, obviously this goes back to Bud Brisboy and, and guys like that a long, long time ago. Um, but as a as a young uh, kid in in high school in uh, white bread land, you know it was it was hearing Bill Chase play for the first time that made me realize, oh, that's possible to do. Yeah, and it's it's like anything else. We have to we have to learn. We have to have people show us what is uh, achievable, and if we if we're never exposed to it, then we're not going to really know about it. Yeah. So the the biggest thing to do is to listen to what's going on on around you. And there's think of all the composers especially the avant-garde style composers who use sounds of the, the street in, in the music, you know, street construction mm-hmm. and things like that in a, in a performance of their, of their music. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's, it's kind of putting into action, what if I could find a way to use these sounds in, in what I'm doing and these ideas in what I'm doing? And it's, uh, it's easy to get stuck. It's easy to say I'm practicing my Arben book or or whatever book you're practicing out of, um, and and really not get out of get your face out of that. But if you'll if you'll just listen and try to recreate, you know, you may not do it exactly, but you might come up with something new. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah. I I love the uh, there's a quote uh, from Clark Terry, and it, it became kind of a a staple in my vocabulary for a while, which was. Uh, uh, you know, imitate, uh, assimilate and innovate. And I think sometimes that, uh, you know, people want to skip steps, right. you know, and if you want to imitate, like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not, uh, uh, I'm not a young, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, you know, but <laughs> I, I, re- I remember, I, and this is, and this is one of my, my favorite acts. I used to love watching Rich Little, when he showed oh, up on like the tonight show and you know, different things. And I just, I, I just loved, you know, impersonators, but to be a great impersonator requires you to really listen and, and not, I mean, what made him so great was uh, that maybe it wasn't spot on in terms of things, but you know, capturing things like the cadence of speech, some of the uh, affectation, some of the the body movements, some of the things that, that go on that that made it a complete performance. So I, I think sometimes from from the imitation standpoint, we don't really, uh, you know, we want to just learn a lick and not necessarily think about it from uh, the the full perspective of of how that player approached things. And, you know, to start to to fill that sound and then the assimilation, I mean, that's the shedding process because you just got to you've got to get it so that it's second nature and then we can innovate. And I think sometimes people either don't want to listen enough in the imitation stage. Uh, you know, these are the breakdowns. You, know, you either don't listen enough or, or you don't really pay attention to the smaller details. You don't shed it enough. And then, of course, at the end, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't release it and you don't allow it to become something new you don't evolve past what it was 
So, um, you know, with those three concepts in mind, I mean, what, what are some of the, the, the tips you might give someone along those, those three steps of the process of imitation, assimilation and innovation? Well, the, the important thing is to the, to the extent that you can uh, copy, it's a nice idea to copy just to learn the feel, but you should always turn everything that you play. I mean, you know, you listen to a, a, a jazz solo and you might hear clip, you might hear little bits and pieces from other players that you've, you've seen or heard of. And people have assimilated those licks and put them in what they do. Um, but, uh, and that's a, that's a good start. That's a good thing to do. And it's good to quote people that were great. And it's it's really an interesting thing to be playing your own stuff and then just say okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go use this lick, and the uh, the impact it has on especially if you're playing for a jazz audience is like oh everybody woke up everybody's listening now because I did something different. Um, I think the big the, the the key is to try to use that to stimulate your own ideas. That's that's what I think most people you know did over the years is they were influenced by certain people. You can see the lineage of trumpet players how how this person was a, a protege of this guy then this guy then this person then that person and uh you know you have to listen and then you have to realize uh, let me go with this but then what if i took a left turn here instead of a right turn you know yeah. and start to create yourself based on that it, it happens often i think uh for people to say uh, for a teacher to say okay here i want you to try this lick okay now I want you to move off of this. When you get to this note, I want you to move to this chord and try to do the same thing in that chord and then find ways to just keep, you know, translating it and, and moving it along. And that creates a, a language that is not just monotone or, or a copy of somebody else's, but now you're starting to, to you know, influence people a, or the listeners in a way that you want to add to that. And at the same time, uh, uh, draw attention to the impact of some great players in the past. You know, there's, we see a, 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 a lot of musicians coming in who are, who have been influenced by other performers and it's great. That's, that's, that's what jazz, that's the great thing about jazz. It happens in classical music too. You know, I used to, I used to love Maurice Andre as a, as a, 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 a trumpet player. Um, and, and my teachers, I would try to copy my teachers, but then after that, you have to keep looking for, what's out there and, and try to take those ideas and then uh, find a way to use them in your own plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, you know, uh, identifying and, and speaking with your authentic voice and, right. uh, yeah. you know, I, I think even societally, um, that's probably the thing that's gotten us in the most trouble is, uh, you know, we, we, we latch onto someone else's voice and we, we never, uh, we, we can never say anything or do anything or think anything that, that is contradictory to, to that established norm. And you know, it's like, okay, learn to speak for yourself, learn to think for yourself, learn to act for yourself. Wow. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there you go. Life, music, trumpet. It's all the same. Um, so uh, now, now it's, what's kind of interesting to me is uh, the juxtaposition of, you know, what we've been talking about, which is uh, this freedom, this creativity, this uniqueness that, that is part of being a jazz musician. Uh, and then uh, so much of your work, uh, you know, in, in the past, you know, however many years uh, has been on, on the Broadway scene. And that is that is not particularly the, uh, you know, go out there and just, you know, whatever's going to come out, it's going to come out. 
that that you would have if you're on a on a free jazz gig. You know, you, you're expected to perform um, in in a fairly consistent fashion. So, uh, you know, how's the mindset, the shift that, that you would have, you know, between doing a, doing a jazz gig, a quintet gig uh, or something like that, and then, you know, being in that pit and uh, having to, to play that same book uh, night after night? Right. It's, uh, it's, it's got its challengers, maybe our challenges. One, one of the big challenges is that you've got to do it the same every night. You have to literally do exactly the same lick every night. I, I did a, a show with Bernadette Peters, uh, Gypsy, mm-hmm. and Gypsy has a big trumpet solo in it. And so the, the, uh, the first day of rehearsal, the, the contractor of the show came up to me and said, so there's this big trumpet solo you know, that that's, you know, that everybody does. He said, I, I really want you to make it, a, make a big splash. I want you to make it a big deal. And, uh, so I thought, okay, um, you know, I'll, I'll work on that. And so I, I had some ideas of where to go with it. You have options on h- how to play the solo or what to add to it. Some of it's, uh, literally just changes, but inside the, the context of the original solo that was written and, uh, <clears throat> So I did that. I, I went in, you know, I just thought I'm going to go for it and see what happens. And uh, I can remember him coming up to me afterwards saying, I asked you to make a difference, to make something spectacular, and you did it. And he patted me on the back. And then he said, now, do that every night. Okay. And I realized at, at that point, I finally realized, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done all that because now I have to do it eight shows a week, you know. And on top of that, somebody else has to come in and sub if if I've taken off and play that solo and they will not have had as many opportunities to have gone through it on all of that stuff. But, uh, it worked out, it worked out pretty well. And, and, uh, it was fun and it was, I like a challenge. So it was, uh, it was a fun thing to do. Yeah. So, and, and then we, we also got a chance to do it live on the Tony Awards. So that was, uh, that was a fun, uh, thing to be televised all over thinking, wow, now I got to live up to this, thing that i have to play every night yeah. so you're right the smart thing to do would have been to just kind of tone it down a little bit but that contractor got me all hyped up and i thought this is great because he's going to keep hiring me and he got mad at me about something and never hired me again after that show but uh, <laughs> <clears throat> so it didn't really that part of it didn't pay off oh man well you know there's um you know, with with uh, the Broadway Broadway shows and things like that, I, I was uh, having a conversation. We'll, we'll hang with uh, Paul Barron, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, Paul had uh, has has written a book on uh, the Broadway trumpeter. So basically, you know, excerpts or from Broadway shows for for young trumpet players to you know start learning the the repertoire of, of Broadway, uh, since that's something that that certainly is lacking. Uh, in terms of uh, you know study material, so um, you know what are what are some of the the like the the basic skill sets that you know if you're going to be mentoring someone on uh, pursuing a career as a Broadway musician as a pit musician, what are some of the things that you would you know say hey look dude you know you need to you need to be able to do this on the horn and you need to have this kind of mindset and you need to, you know, have this kind of ethic or whatever. Uh, what are some of the, the key points that you would want to, to steer people towards? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, the biggest, I mean, maybe start at the bottom of this list, but they're very important. Uh, Get used to playing in the dark in the pit. Um, Get used to not having enough room around you. You know, if you look at a symphony orchestra lined up on the stage, there's, you know, three feet of space between every chair. That's not going to be like that in the pit where you end up. And, um, you know, so there's just certain technical things like that. Also, get used to the fact that you got to play the same thing every night the same way. Um, And that that can be it's great because you can read a book on your stand while you're doing it if you want you know uh, because you'll have it memorized in in a couple of weeks um but it's you got to keep doing the same thing and like my mistake on gypsy was now i gotta now i gotta keep pulling this off um you know uh and that kept that kept me uh at least awake through that uh you know paying attention um you know, playing, playing the same show every night is, uh, it's easy for your mind to wander. It's easy to get your concentration off and you don't have that option very much like playing in a symphony orchestra. The conductor drops the the baton and starts conducting through. Um, and plus you're doing eight shows a week. So it's, uh, it's a little bit more playing than you would have to be doing if you were in an orchestra. Um, and, uh, the, the conductors, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, they get to sub out, you know, when it works well for them. They So there's always a subconductor. You have to be willing to change what's different about that as well. In some shows, you change keys uh, if if the star is out of the show and doesn't do it in that key. So you have to be ready to do that kind of stuff. Um, the, the, the big thing is just to understand that it's there's a, a considerable amount of pressure, not pressure, but uh, importance of playing the show the same every night. So if somebody comes back and sees the show three weeks after their first show and says, well, wait a minute, that that's not the way it was. You know, they want the show to be in every way, just like it. Not only that, but the people on stage um, are used to the cues that are in the music as it is. So you've got to pull that off every night. Paul, I, I, I totally agree with the book. It's a wonderful book that he wrote. And, uh, but we have a responsibility to, uh, always be in the same place at the same time in every show that we do and expected to do it every single night. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, once you learn something pretty well, it's easy to kind of lose your concentration. So you have to really learn how to stay focused and you have to learn how to do a warm up that gets you, you might've done a, a recording session earlier in the day and now you're going to come in and sit down and get your, you have to have a, a, a warm up that gets you to the place to be able to play what, what you're doing right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just know that it's live. So a lot of weird stuff can happen. Somebody can fall down on stage. You never know. You know, there's some, there's some pretty odds. Somebody, uh, one show I did, somebody dropped their kid into the pit. Literally was, they were leaning over, looking down so that they could see the string instruments and, and dropped this, I don't know, it's like about an eight year old kid, probably. And then maybe not that much, maybe it's a, maybe six and just dropped them into the pit during the show. 
and uh wow we, weird things we had a dog get loose in a theater once there's a bunch of different you know because it's the it's a different show every day although it's got to be done the same way right you know right well, i was going to ask you what's the weirdest thing that you've ever experienced in the pit but i, I think those two are, are pretty bizarre rats rats is one of them in new york that's happened a few times uh you uh, i can imagine that yeah. yeah they have they like getting into the pit i mean it doesn't happen real often but uh, it, the, the first show I did in town, it, uh, we had a, a little rat problem and, uh, luckily they found a way to fix that, but it was a little disconcerting while you're trying to play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, unless you can play tambourine or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. Um, when, when you, um, when you, when you kind of started talking about like the warm up, uh, you know, getting yourself warmed up for, uh, playing, um, you know, I know a lot of people that, that just look at the warm up as a, like a purely physical activity. Um, and then others that, that kind of look at the warm up as a, um, a mental reset. So when you're, when you're talking about, uh, warming up for, for a Broadway gig, um, is it one more than the other or, or just kind of a fair balance of, of the, the physical and the, the mental? I think they're both equally important. And I think it depends on the part you have to play. If you're playing a third trumpet part, you know, you can, you can get there not having played all day. And, and not that, not that that's not an important uh, gig, but the, 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 the strain on your chops or the work that you have to do as the lead trumpet player are uh, uh, less uh, strenuous. So it's easy to warm up. You have a, a range that's, generally lower but it's vitally important to the entire section that that music be you have to be as focused as uh, any anybody else in the section and uh and usually there's a little something in every part that will stick out and be out there so you got to be ready to make that happen it it is important to not allow yourself to just get into uh i mean i i knew some some players who would just allow them to be in automatic mode and um, I, I was never able to do that. I mean, I'd love to be able to just sit down and not really have to think about it and play, but I, I never had a gift for that. I had to really think about what I was doing, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's about being physically ready, mentally ready, and, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, and then being ready for new things to happen. If something happens on stage, the conductor can say, no, we're doing this, we're going that way, and be ready to jump to a different place where maybe you have a solo that you weren't, prepared to play at that second but there's just a lot of stuff like that 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 uh that happens yeah being being prepared for the um, uh, you know the unexpected that's that's a tough thing to do you know and uh with with being in, in um being in that situation in, in the in that show yeah i, I can see how it, it could be kind of challenging because it like you said you're, you know you're doing eight shows a week and you're playing it very consistently but it's that consistency in in what can be an un, inconsistent environment so uh yeah, you know get stay on your toes so i can certainly see the, the advantage of that um so w when you were um when you were a younger player i know you said that that you were not a natural uh, yeah. so, uh, it, you know, so you, you earned, you earned all of your, uh, your skills through, through your time and your hard work. Um, 
were you always kind of a tenacious person? I mean, because that that is what it takes, I and mean, it takes it takes a, a tenacious mindset, you know, to be be willing to to go through the hustle and the grind to to improve. You know, is that something that just kind of stuck out in trumpet, the, you know, because of your love for the instrument, or is that just part of part of your general makeup? I think it's kind of my general makeup. I don't like to not do well. You know, not that it hasn't happened. But in, in anything, I, I don't like to be the worst guy at it. Like, I'd hate to be – that's why I don't play much basketball these days, you know. I don't I'm, – I'm not going to really get the job done the way I'd like to, so I don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I might go shoot baskets, but I'm not going to go with some people and say, yeah, mate, put me on the team. Put me in, coach. So, um, you know, the, for me, it, it's uh, – I always want to get it right. It doesn't really matter. Sometimes I drive my wife crazy because – you know, I'll say, no, 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 it's got to be here. This, this, we got to make this happen. You know, we got to do it that way. Um, it's just because, uh, um, you know, I have an idea of what I think I should be doing and then try to make that happen. The nice part is if you're, if you're playing a first part, you get to have, you get to influence basically how that happens. Um, you know, the style tends to often come off the, especially with the winds and brass um, off the lead trumpet, part or line um and then after that it's just recreating it every day uh but but in general um i like to get it right i don't need to be uh, i don't really expect to be perfect but i certainly try to be perfect mm-hmm. that that happens about one percent of the time that is perfect you know but uh, um, ultimately speaking I, I i'm one of those people that doesn't like to be the center of his attention and that includes um uh, you know playing the trumpet i don't want to be that where did that clam come from and you know everybody's going to know what came from that area where the trumpets are you know right uh so i i enjoy trying to get it right at the very least at least saying i did my best to get it right you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and there i think there's a slippery slope that exists there um that desire to get it right uh and perfectionism you know, the desire to get it right is, is what motivates us to, to do the work and to stay on task and things like that. The perfectionism is a thing that that becomes uh, actually a sticking point for us because uh, we become excessively uh, harder on ourselves, uh, stressed out, uh, you know, which actually ends up usually leading to a breakdown of the mechanism as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the free flowing uh, movement of, 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 of our energies. So, um you know, do you do you struggle with that personally, with with trying to balance out the the desire to to be your absolute best and uh, the realities of of uh, the, you know that that there are inconsistencies that will occur. You know, how, and how do you balance out those two, and how do you deal with that that kind of stress? Well, it's it's uh, in, in my understanding, uh, what, what works for me is to uh, strive to be best every time. But understanding that uh, perfection uh, is not especially if you're doing the, the same show for 10 years or something like that. It's uh, it be, in some ways it becomes easier to recreate every single time. But in other ways, it's uh, OK. Well, you're, you kind of lose your attention to that a little bit. And, in, and that's when some errors can come in. Uh, for the most part, you start to just play it by ear and your ear finds it, your head finds it pretty easily. And it actually narrow, it cuts down on some uh, potential mistakes or errors. But um, uh, I really don't think about them. I just think about playing. 
And, you know, I mean, I, I had people drill into me, okay, well, try to try to get this right. You know, I know some players who seem to give no mind to it at all. They just sit down and play great every time. I, that's not me. I have to think about it. But I'm not thinking to the point of, okay, what if I make a mistake? You know, I'm just get right all the time. And, you know, mistakes happen from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, it, it's that uh, it's a it's a it's a fine line that we walk on that because, uh, you know, it's so easy to fall fall onto the trap of of becoming overcritical and overthinking things. And uh, actually is having that conversation with a fellow uh, St. Louis uh, native uh, Jim Manley about mm. that. And, you know, that you know, so many people just get they they their head gets in the way and uh, playing becomes stressful instead of fun. Uh, yeah. because you're, you're, you're thinking too much about stuff instead of just letting the music happen. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a, a yin yang kind of thing. You know, you got to find that right balance. And I think the balance is different for everybody. So you have to find what works, works for you. But that, that's one of the reasons I like to talk about stuff like this, because, um, you know, I think everybody, for the most part, you know, we all suffer from the same problems, the same type of problems. Uh, and you know, how you deal with it may not, particularly be the way that's best for me, but at least it gives me a different perspective. And I want to try and get as many different ways of looking at a, at a problem and, and the possible solutions as possible. So that even if I don't have that problem right now, when it does creep up, which it eventually will, uh, then I've, I've got a, I've got a toolbox that I can pull from to, to help me to, to deal with stuff. Right. So, you know, that I think that that's one of those cool things. All right. Well, uh, we're going to we're going to do a, we have two segments that we need to get through today uh, before I can uh, call it a call it a, a hang. And uh, <laughs> the um, the first one is uh, I got to do this. We, we got to talk mouthpieces. This is our geared up section. So we're going to talk gear, but I don't want to just talk standard gear. Um, you know, I want to. I want to talk about what you're playing in particularly um, how what your approach to gear is uh, in terms of, you know, what you're looking for out of gear and uh, maybe some tips that you could give people about uh, how they can approach their gear. If they're looking to make a change or needing to make a change, what are the kind of aspects that they need to be aware of uh, as the determining factors, you know, not just, you know, who's who's the endorser. Okay. Well, that's a lot of stuff. Let me, let me say, first of all, but in terms of gear, and if you're comparing gig, uh, gear or trying to find the right equipment for something, number one, make sure that you're physically in the same place you were the last time you played or, or normally when you play. If you, if, for instance, if you're trying out mouthpieces after you've had been on vacation and haven't played for two weeks, you're not going to learn anything, you know, and you're, you can't find it. So number one, uh, be physically ready to uh, make a decision. So you're making sure that you're at your peak plane. And then the other thing is this, uh, I think it's easy to begin to rely too much on uh, mouthpieces, trumpets, you know, extra stuff. I mean, I'm speaking to that and I've got trumpets and mouthpieces laying all over my room here, but um, uh, I, I basically have been through a bunch of mouthpieces and literally within sight of me, there's about 300 mouthpieces here. Nice. Um, and, uh, but they're, most of them are all gone or, you know, long past, haven't used them in, in years and years and years. And I let my students come and work on them. If they find one, they can take one, you know? Um, 
So number one, the real instrument is what's behind the mouthpiece. So all of that has got to be together. Your, your fingers, your chops, everything's got to be ready to do uh, what you want to do. And then I always take a buddy when I try out equipment, somebody to stand in front of me who I uh, trust as a player um, and, a, and not only a player, but a, an excellent musician and then play and say, okay, what was the difference between this one and that one where you're at, you know? Um, and I think that's extremely helpful to us. Um, I've also had some instruments uh, that were uh, made for me and uh, taking time with the, with the people who make the instruments um, is, has been a great uh, learning experience for me. And, uh, you know, because I've had them made for me, I can kind of always know how that's going to feel. And it, it tends to work for my skill set, whatever that is, lack of skill or enough skill, whatever it is. You know, it's, it's designed to either cover my mistakes or make it easier for me to play one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so that's, I think a lot of people tend to do that. That's why you can go out and get the, you know, this guy's trumpet or, you know, the, the Wayne Bergeron trumpet or the Marvin Stamm trumpet or whatever. Um, uh, you know, the thing is, if I buy Wayne's horn, that's not going to make me sound like Wayne. It, it might help, but still the instrument is what's behind the trumpet itself. Right. And so number one, that's got to be the, the thing. If you, if you want to make something happen, you've got to make all of this work well and work right. And then try out scientifically, if, well, not really, I don't know if it can be scientifically, but systematically um, try out one thing at a time and see how that works and then start to compare that with what you played before to see if that's going to make something different. Um, all, I mean, of all the trumpets I have, I like that I have some that are just different, not, not just the same so that I can use that horn for this kind of plane and another horn for that kind of plane. Um, but uh, the, I think the main thing in terms of equipment that you choose, uh, it doesn't do any good if you haven't played in, in two weeks you know, trying out a trumpet is probably not yours or making a decision on a trumpet is probably not the smartest thing to do at that point. Yeah. But I try out everything on mutes, mouthpieces, trumpets, you know, valve tops. I know one guy who tries out, he has got to have some special kind of top cap on the valve and it makes a big difference to him. To me, it doesn't really seem to matter, but it just depends on what matters to you. What Mm -hmm. do you need to do to be able to be consistent and have confidence in the equipment that you're, you're playing? Think how much, Think how much race car drivers go through every single inch of their car all the time. Um, now we don't have the same sort of uh, difficulties they do, but um, you know we we kind of need to make sure it's always in good working order that we're using the right equipment. I, I see that the, you have uh, Robins, Robinson's remedies there. You know, yeah. every trumpet player I know has a has a bottle of that in the in their trumpet case. You know, and that's a way to get this part of the instrument, your lips, working. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can always know that if you feel a little swollen, okay, well, that's what you can use to make that happen. I'm not trying to do a commercial. I just saw that that sticker on your uh, stuff and thought, well, that's, that's you know, you're going to find one in every trumpet case you can find because that gets this, the physical part, the body part, uh, in the right place in case it's hurting, if it's mm-hmm. not right. You know? Right, right. Well, you know, actually, you, you, you did bring up something interesting there, and you know i've i've heard this this argument you know from so many different angles about the uh placebo effect um and you know, 
okay, well, heavy, heavy caps, they help with the slotting and intonation. Well, no, heavy caps don't do anything, you know, or, you know, heavy horns, heavy walls, all these different things. Um, and, you know, of course, I have not seen, I'm a little bit of a geek. Uh, I, I am a geek. I don't want to say a little bit. I am a geek. But even more more so than just the, the trumpet nerd geek, uh, just kind of a science <laughs> a science geek in, in general. And uh, I've actually asked a couple of people who are manufacturers and they're like, you know, well, the science says this. And I'm like, okay, well, what science? What research? Can you show me the research? Because... I don't have a problem sitting down and, and reading uh, reading a journal article and, and you know looking at, at uh, that sort of uh, experimentation and, and deciphering that, um, but you know so some of the stuff I think yeah okay well there there maybe is a a uh, quantifiable difference that it makes. And in some cases, it is simply a placebo effect. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you think you're, it's going to help you to play better, you're probably going to play better. Simply because you you you're feeling more confident, you're feeling like the horn is going to respond for you the way that you want it to respond. So therefore, you're not you don't set up that level of trepidation that's going to trip you up eventually. Uh, you know, so so where do you stand stand on on things like that? About uh, you know, if, if it feels if it feels good for you, then it's good for you. Yeah. Well. I mean, when I'm trying out, a, it makes a big difference to me when I'm trying out the horn. If I'm if I'm looking for a new horn or something like that, I might say, you know, do you have different caps on this to try? I I personally feel like if you put enough weight on the trumpet, if you're using uh, heavy caps on the bottom of your horn, um, I think it can change your sound. The question is, does it change it to a sound you want to hear, or a feel that you want to have, or not? I don't I don't really like to have a lot of weight on the trumpet and um, uh, that doesn't work so well for me. Uh, and I don't have weights on my mouthpieces or anything else like that. They're just a standard cut. Um, but that doesn't mean I disagree with them. I just haven't found one that I thought. I kind of feel like the more weight I have on it, the less control I have over what I'm playing. It's just more work to try to manipulate that extra weight into doing the things that it, it does, whatever that is. Um, I've, I've certainly played horns with heavy bills. And with heavy caps, um, I, I have a I have a Monet trumpet here that's real dark and heavy, and I like it for some things, um, but only only because it's good for those things. You know, it's not my my everyday thing, but it certainly has. Uh, um, I'm sorry, it's not a Monet. It's it's I don't mean to do that. It's like a Monet. It's a uh, uh, what do we call this? A Van Lar. Okay. Yeah. And uh, his stuff is very heavy, but it works on that horn. Now, I don't play lead trumpet on it. It's for a whole different sound. And um, and and I love, I think it's a great idea to play around. Just like race car drivers will, will work on bending a foil a certain way, they can feel it. Mm -hmm. um, it. I don't know that it made any difference if they won the race or if, they, if the people who are watching the race could, could tell that the car was faster, but... Uh, for us, whatever works is a great thing. For me, I tend to go light on the trumpet. I'm heavy enough by myself. I don't need the trumpet, trumpet to be any heavier. And um, I, I certainly feel like it's everybody's prerogative to say, I feel, even, if, if, even if it's only in your mind, if a heavy cap makes you feel better about it, or if your horn is a special kind of color or shiny, if you feel better and it makes you play better, then great. You know, that's, that's fine, you know. 
Um, I just, I basically, I don't try to make that many adjustments to, to what I do. You know, I mean, I, I pick out a trumpet when I try it and then for the most part, but that's the way it stays. Every once in a while, I'll put a different mouthpiece in it, but that's to accomplish a different gig or a different quality sound. Mm. Okay. So I guess that, that, uh, this, to sum it up, you, you, uh, use the right tool for the job. That's it. Excellent. I could have used that, but I've, I, uh, I have in the past, but that sums it up, I think, really well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, cool, cool. So uh, for any of you out there who are looking to uh, try out uh, some new horns, just uh, don't call Chris. He's he's not going to go with you to, <laughs> to listen to you. <laughs> I'm happy to go with him. The, the, my, my thinking is get it right there. So whatever, when you're at the factory – get it the way you like it right there. And yeah. you can say, can you do this here or add that here or do all of that. But after that, I don't, once I pick it out, I just play with it. Yeah. You know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we have one last segment to get through, and this is brought to us by our good friends at Robinson's Remedies. This is the Robinson's Remedies rapid fire round. And this is a series of questions, Chris, that are going to go all over the place. Uh, much like, <laughs> uh, much like uh, my chops at the end of a, four-hour gig <laughs> um so uh there's just gonna be you know random questions and i uh, just want your quickest answer uh and so we get to know a little bit more we get to dig deep into your mind here so uh, okay well that's that's not going to be a pretty sight but i'll do the best i can <laughs> all right well here we go starting with your first question uh, who's the biggest influence on your life that's not a trumpet player Wow. Oh, and I'm supposed to just answer the first thing, huh? Um, my parents. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite book? Uh, the Bible. How's that? That's a good one. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of the movie. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, um, I've forgotten the name. I got up and left. And I, I don't know. I can't tell you the name of it. That's, that's the it was sign. so bad, I, le- I paid for it, but left. That's a sign that it was a bad movie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? A teacher. Okay. Um, let's see. What's your favorite drink? Diet Coke. Mm. You could have a dinner party. And at this dinner party, you're going to be able to invite any three living people. Any three people in the entire world could come to this party. Who would you want to have there? Uh, Putin, Doc Severinsen, and uh, my best friend Dave. Dave Rogers, also a great trumpet player. Wow, that sounds like a, a very interesting dinner. Um. You have uh, three additional seats there, and they're for any three people from history. You're going to be able to bring any three people from history there uh, to have a seat with you. And who would those people be? Uh, one of them would be the guy who invented the trumpet. I, I don't know his name, but I'd love to have him at the table. Um, I would love to have Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I thought he did some really brave things, and uh, being able to hear how that all went would be great. Um, and I'd love to have one of my parents back at, at that at some point. They're they're long gone, but I'd, I'd love to bring my dad back and talk with him with those guys. Okay, all right, sounds sounds good. Um, 
lacquer, plated, or raw? I like them all, but on different horns. Okay. Some horns feel, seem like they work, others don't. Okay. What's your favorite quote? Hit it hard and wish it well. All right. It's like a double A. Just hit it hard, wish it well. That's that's it. All right. Uh, what is your greatest fear? Uh, having to stop playing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Reading people's minds. Man, that could get you into a lot of trouble. It could, but it sure would give you a lot of answers sometimes. Yeah, that's true. It could, it, could, it could keep you out of a lot of trouble, actually. That's, that's true, yeah. right. All right. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? You know, I'm, I'm stumped at that because I think it's all very important. If I had to just say one is less important, um, how fast you can finger. And, and yeah, that would, that would be it. Cause I know a lot of people who have blazing speed, but I don't necessarily agree with what they sound like or what they're playing. Mm -hmm. So maybe that would be it. Okay. All right, cool. Um, what aspect do you feel is the most underrated? Uh, sound. Okay. Um, you're uh, given the ability to go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Um, practice harder. All right. And it was, it was going to be not to get married to my first wife, but, but <laughs> well, uh, well, that's going to be, it's got to be musical. That, yeah. that I will say that improved my, my, musicianship uh, to some degree yeah, yeah. well okay well th that's going to be the second question which is what <laughs> advice would you give yourself about life besides not marrying your first wife okay um to make sure you find the right person and the right people to share it with mm, that's a that's a very good one i can agree with you 100 percent on that one um and final question for you chris uh what do you want your legacy to be yeah, I have done no thinking on that, but I'll just say that I'd like for people to uh, think that I tried to help, whether it's on a musical level or a personal level. Um, I I want people to know that I cared and I tried. You know? All right. Well, that is a great thing to aspire to. And, uh, you know, I, I share that with you that, um, you know, that I just want the world to be a little bit better you know, yeah. and, and be a, play a part in that process. So, um, you know, I really thank you though, because you, you really helped me out a lot today. Um, yeah, this was a great conversation. It was great getting to know you. And, uh, I'm looking forward to one day being able to sit down and actually have that, uh, that drink in person. And, uh, you know, maybe, uh, once Broadway opens up, if you're back in the pits, I'll, uh, I'll come and throw my kid into the pit. Uh, so you have another story to, that would be great. I've really enjoyed it myself. Thank you very much. All right. Well, well, thank you. And uh, thank you for listening and watching and whatever you're doing to share this time with us. Uh, and uh, you know, make sure that you uh, share this episode with a friend because there's some really great information in here. Uh, Chris is a phenomenal player, a phenomenal teacher, a phenomenal guy. So uh, thanks once again, Chris. And thank you. And as always, peace and slide grease. We're out. <laughs> 
Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Uh-huh.